This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And give us ears to hear your word afresh this morning by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Martin Luther King, in his famous I Have a Dream speech, said this. This is our hope, and this is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. Today, on this Resurrection Day, we see so clearly that the ultimate stone of hope is Jesus. Tim Keller, in his new book, Hope in Times of Fear, The Resurrection and the Meaning of Easter, points out that Dr. King's reference to cutting a stone of hope out of a mountain of despair is a reference to an Old Testament prophecy that we can find in the book of Daniel. And in that story, the king of Babylon had a dream, and the prophet Daniel was called upon to interpret that dream. And Keller writes, in that vision, the idolatrous kingdoms of this world are smashed by a small rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, which then grows into a mountain of justice and peace that fills the earth. And Christian interpreters have understood the stone as the kingdom of God a supernatural work, not by human hands, starting as a very small thing, seemingly powerless, yet eventually toppling all proud regimes that perpetuate evil and oppression. And in this morning's Easter vigil service, we began by rehearsing the story of our world, beginning with creation. And in the garden, everything was good, But that which was good was spoiled by sin. The unity that existed between God and humanity was broken. And ever since, there has been an unraveling of creation. And every aspect of life is subject to decay. And as Jess preached about on Good Friday, to entropy. But today, on Easter morning, We do not despair, for a stone of hope truly has been hewn out of a mountain of despair. We have hope because the resurrection is the deposit, the down payment, the sure sign of hope that God is making all things new. The resurrection marks the beginning of the great reversal of decay, for death itself has been defeated. That reference to a stone of hope got me thinking about another stone, that rather big stone that we heard about in our gospel reading a moment ago that was rolled away 
that had been in front of the tomb. I used to think that the angels rolled the stone away so that Jesus could get out. I don't think so. I don't think so. Surely the stone was rolled away to let the women see in. Jesus, in his resurrected body, was not bound by stones or doors or walls. Well, this morning, my hope and my prayer is that God will roll back whatever it might be that could prevent you from seeing what this day is all about. Some people may have doubts about whether all this is really true. Others may believe the Easter story, but wonder what difference it really makes. And there may be some, some here, some watching online who are so distracted by life, by grief, by pain, by some loss, that you're here or viewing only because, well, it's Easter morning and you're doing your duty. Well, let me start by addressing you, those who may be feeling overwhelmed this morning or are present out of duty. That's not a bad reason ever to, to be present. I'm delighted you're here. And in a way, that's how it was on the first Easter morning. The women didn't know there was going to be resurrection. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, at least in part, I suspect, out of duty. We know from the other gospel accounts that they intended to anoint Jesus' body. It's hard to imagine how they must have been feeling as they approached the garden tomb. Just a week before, they had seen Jesus enter Jerusalem surrounded by cheering crowds, waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. And yet, by the end of that week, Jesus, who they loved, had been whipped, mocked, spat upon, and finally subjected to that most brutal of tortures, crucifixion. They had watched him die. And the day following, perhaps they were kind of on autopilot. They, they didn't go to the tomb the next day. They waited till the Sabbath was over and the work week began on the first day of the week. They must have been so downhearted, dispirited, grief-stricken, exhausted, filled, surely with doubts and questions. And then the most unexpected, unimaginable scene unfolds. And Matthew describes what happened after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. What an extraordinary scene. The women were worried about the huge stone in front of the grave. And that stone was anything but a stone of hope. It was a stone designed to seal in death. But they need not have worried, for that stone of death had been rolled aside for them by an angel, no less, 
who was now sitting on top of it. I, I just love that detail. It's almost as if this angel, who looked like lightning with clothes as white as snow, is sitting there on top of this stone, thumbing his nose at Satan. And what of the guards? At the end of the previous chapter, St. Matthew tells us, so worried with the chief priests and the Pharisees about any possible false rumors about Jesus rising from the dead, that they went to Pilate and asked for a guard to make the tomb secure, and they'd sealed it with a Roman seal. But the word used as a noun for earthquake is the same word used as a verb to describe the quaking that afflicted the guards. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. And when I read this account, I don't know whether to laugh or cry or fall down on my knees. I suspect any, any of those would be appropriate responses. Ancient Rome, that great superpower, was utterly impotent in the face of the power of the resurrection. And every power before and since is equally ineffective when it comes to the ultimate questions of life and death and of salvation from sin. The man who was supposed to be dead inside the tomb was alive. And the men who were alive outside the tomb became like dead men. Well, the angel was quick to reassure the women. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. And so they're invited to look inside and see for themselves that the tomb is empty. I love that invitation. He invites them to come and see. That's what Jesus said to the first disciples, curious as to who he was at the start of his ministry. And it's an invitation he gives to us. Come and see. Well, then there are the people who do kind of believe in Jesus and maybe even believe the resurrection, but nevertheless say, but so what? What difference does it make now? Well, it makes every difference not least because of the words of the angel to Mary and, uh, and Mary. <laughs> he has been raised. These words are at the very heart of our Christian faith. Without the resurrection, Jesus is at best just an ancient Jewish rabbi who was maybe a good moral teacher, but certainly not the savior of the world. A dead hero, perhaps, in a long line of other great martyrs before and since, but not the Son of God. Someone who could empathize with pain and suffering, with injustice and hatred, but not someone who could do anything about it. Without the resurrection, the claims of Jesus fall down like a house of cards. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. He claimed that he would rise from the dead. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. But if he was executed and stayed dead and buried, then he wasn't the way to anything. And he wasn't truthful, and he certainly wasn't alive. 
the resurrection matters because if true, then everything is changed. It means that God has been faithful to his promises and we can rely on God no matter what. It means that death does not have the last word on our lives. It means that life has a purpose and a goal and that Jesus Christ holds the keys of death and hell and opens the door to eternal life. The resurrection was a miraculous display of God's power. Uh, Keller writes, but we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of, of the world. Rather, it was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world. The world as God intended it to be. The resurrection means not merely that Christians have a hope for the future, but they have hope that comes from the future. The Bible's startling message is that when Jesus rose, he brought the future kingdom of God into the present. It's not here fully, but it is here substantially. The resurrection marks the dawn of a new world order, a reversal of sin's curse and decay, restoration of God's rule with justice and grace. The power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power of God that is available to all who believe and trust in Jesus. It's the power that breaks the hold of sin and selfishness on our lives. It's the power that frees us from addictions and guilt. It's the power that can heal the very deepest wounds. Well, so far I've said something to those who may have doubts. Uh, come and see. Look at the evidence for yourself. I I've said something to those who say, so what? Namely, that the whole Christian faith stands or falls on whether all of this is true. And if true, affects our whole life no matter what our circumstances. Well, thirdly, I want to conclude by saying something to those people, which I suspect is most of you, if not all of you, are sitting here in the nave today, who do believe and who do know that it matters. I want you not only to catch a fresh glimpse of Jesus, whom we have gathered to worship this morning, but also to see how you are being called to be stones of hope. For today, we are called to share our Easter joy and hope with others. After the angel told the Marys not to be afraid and, and gave them their task to go quickly and tell the disciples, we read in verse 8, so they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. The women obey and set out with two emotions, fear and joy. The events of that morning were in so many ways absolutely terrifying. And yet they were events that also brought unspeakable joy. As illustrated by Tallulah, thank you. <laughs> the combination of fear and joy is one that many people know 
when they have experienced the power of God in their lives. I think very often fear and joy can be two sides of the same coin. There are lots of experiences of life that point to this. Um, A new job, a new baby, a new house, moving to a new city or country. Well, that first Easter morning, the women certainly experienced fear and joy. Fear in the face of death with all the loss, sorrow, and despair, accompanied by an earthquake, no less, and an angel, and the power of the resurrection that brought great joy. Christian faith does not say, believe this and you'll be happy. Rather, our belief in the resurrection tells us that in the crucible of life and loss, of heartache and sorrow, even in the midst of death, there is peace that passes understanding. There is love that knows no end. And there is joy, deep, deep joy. In so many ways, this past year has been one huge mountain of despair with the global pandemic, political polarization like I don't think we've ever seen before, racial tension, rioting on our streets, mass shootings, family tensions, job losses, and great anxiety. And yet, we do not despair. We do not sink under the weight of despair. The resurrection reminds us that a stone of hope has indeed been hewn from the mountain of despair. And even though we live in a Good Friday world, we are an Easter people. Amen? This past year, we have seen so many small stones of hope, even here in our midst at Ascension. One example has been the formation of four weekly prayer groups on Zoom to pray for particular concerns, to pray for internationals, to pray for children, youth, and college students, to pray for healthcare workers, and to pray for peace, justice, and reconciliation. Another stone of hope has been the start of a lay-led monthly gathering of parishioners from different racial backgrounds, meeting together to listen to one another, to be present to one another. And I count it a great blessing to be a participant and part of this pilot project. And one more stone of hope is, frankly, the contrast of our Easter services today. A year ago, A mere handful of us gathered in this space as the whole world was in lockdown. This week, we've had to add a fourth service to accommodate the more than 645 people who are coming today to proclaim the resurrection of the Lord. Come and see. Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. Jesus is our hope. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.